Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. As I already stated, we're, we're walking into a new series together, and this series is an interesting one as we read this passage. Perhaps you're wondering where the direction is. This specific passage is one that follows Jesus's uh, baptism, his preparation time into ministry, and here's this final testing, so to speak, or, or temptation, so to speak, that he walks through before really getting his hands dirty, really getting into the life of ministry. And here's this kind of final test that Satan actually brings, but God the Father allows of recognizing that Jesus, while he is God and he is perfect, he also is human and therefore he has free will just like you and I do. And he kind of lays out the template of what it looks like for us to give up control. And the crux of today's passage and the crux of today's sermon walks into this understanding of the fact that God brings forth a new day. He brings forth an opportunity for us to experience freedom through giving up control, which seems counterproductive. It seems like the opposite of what we would hear or what we would know in this culture, because typically in this culture, the more control you have, the more freedom you have is the belief. But God says the opposite. Maybe during the Super Bowl, you saw the ads. There was a couple of them during the Super Bowl. There's also been some at other times, this He Gets Us campaign. And there's maybe a little story that goes with it. And then at the end, there's He Gets Us. And it's talking about the fact that Christ understands the plight that we live in. He understands the struggle that we have. He understands the world that we're wading through right now. And certainly, you can throw stones at that campaign if you'd like to. The amount of money they spent on the, on the commercials or the, the fact there's not some theological things there. But the, the, the message is true. God understands what we walk through because he was tempted just like we were when he came to this earth in the person of Jesus. And it's easy to write off some of the stuff in the gospel and say, well, yeah, we can't really apply that because God is God. And and in the person of Jesus, we're not going to be able to do the things that Jesus does because obviously he has this extra supernatural power. But I want us to be reminded of the fact that Jesus understands us because as a person with free will, he was also tempted and probably tempted in a more intense way than we ever will. Sometimes I feel like it's almost a cop-out or a kind of a spiritual cop-out that, oh, well, God, well, he, he can do these things. We can never attain them. Well, God calls us to this because he knows that we can and because he has desire for us to move forward with him. A series overview would look like this. Specifically, we're moving towards Easter, Resurrection Sunday right now. And we've got this seven-week series where we're going to walk through these different things that God calls us to give up so that we can be emptied of self or the things that consume us so that God can fill us as we walk forward towards this holiday to celebrate his coming and also his sacrifice once again. It's a time of preparing our hearts, our minds, our spirits to receive this gift, the greatest passion, the greatest thing that's ever been done in the history of humankind, which is Christ coming dying, raising from the dead so that we might experience eternal life. There's nothing like embracing the purity of God to reveal the issues of self. 
And so when we look at God, we recognize the places in our life that perhaps we struggle, the places in our life that perhaps that we hold on to, the places in life that God is saying, hey, give that up. Not because I'm cruel and I don't want you to have any fun, but give that up because I have something so much greater for you, something that you could never imagine, something that you could never attain or earn on your own. I have a gift for you that passes all understanding. And whether it's a sin or whether it's maybe a stronghold or maybe today in some form it's control, God is saying, give that up because I have something for you that you could never imagine. And this sermon, like many others that, that I've heard before or many others that I've, I've read, if it's even in, in the text or I've listened to, is one that probably I could preach and I could listen to every single day because it is a daily struggle for us as humans to give up control. We live in a culture that elevates control. We live in a culture that says control is good. We look at athletes or we look at political figures or we look at the, you know, bosses or those people and we say, wow, they have a lot of control. And so it's kind of elevated in this, in this regard. But the gospel is countercultural in that by saying, no, give it up so Jesus can give something new. And at the same time, Christ demonstrates that. I want to just Go off on the side for just a moment, and I'm going to walk through this. I, I kind of joked about this during our pre-service prayer time that I'm going to speed walk through the service uh, this time. If, if you want a, a longer detailed one, you can come to, to second service today. I'll encourage you if you'd like to. But what I will say is there's a question that arises when we talk about giving up control, and that question is, why would I want to give up control? Why would I want to do this? And I can tell you there's a lot of reasons, but one main one is rooted in the beginning and it is it's demonstrated and it's lived out even here today. In Genesis chapter 2, God puts Adam and Eve in this perfect position in a perfect environment where they had all their needs met, where all they had to do was just live and bask in the presence of God and love life. All they had to do was just obey him with this one command that he brought forth, which was you can eat from any tree you'd like to except for this one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that tree, then you'll spoil everything that I've done. And their thoughts were, oh, this is great. We have all the things we need. Everything is perfect. And you know, at that point, there were no thorns and thistles, which just last week, I got a thorn in my finger and it has driven me nuts for the last couple of days. And I say, thanks a lot, Adam. Why on earth... And then in Genesis chapter 3, not a, not a whole chapter later, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we see the fact that, that Satan, he recognizes this purity, this perfect harmony, these two individuals that are living in the presence of God, and he says, I'm going to screw that up. And so he, he slithers his way in, so to speak. If you know the story, you recognize what I'm saying there. And he comes in in the form of a serpent and he begins to tempt the woman. He begins to tempt Eve and he talks about how this is good and how you'd like to have this. And in verse six, it reads like this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And in that step, she said, you know what, God, I, I, I appreciate the fact that you're in control, but I think I can do this on my own. I think that if I get the wisdom needed right now that I'm going to take care of this, and I appreciate all you've done, and I appreciate what you've set up, but I can take it from here. This control thing is something that I would love to grasp onto. She then gave some to her husband, and they both sinned. And at that point, the question that we asked before, why would I want to give up control, is answered. Because we live in the spoils, we live with the consequences of those actions of those two individuals attempting to try to take the reins of control. 
Can I just say this in love to each one of us? When we're in control, we mess everything up. When we're in control, specifically spiritually, we mess everything up because we are not God. We are not, we are created beings. We are not God with his infinite wisdom, with his presence. We are not God with the grace that he gives, with the selflessness, with the unconditional love. We are not God. And therefore, if we are in control and God is not, we will mess it up. And I know this to be true myself. I've personally experienced it. You know it to be true because you've experienced it too. And anyone who searches life for whatever answers are out there, you recognize there are dead ends everywhere you turn if it's something of this natural world or something of this created world. And the only time we can find peace is when we turn to God and say, you take control, not just of my finance, not just of my my relationship, not just of my thought life, but God, you take control of everything. And for whatever reason, he says, yes, he steps in, in his loving forgiveness, and he brings forth the opportunity for us to experience him. You know, the, the, the likeness of this, the likeliness of this taking place is one that I, if I'm going to try to put it in metaphorical terms, is it would be like us saying, okay, I have this baby, or I have this two-year-old, and I'm going to let them drive the car. Right? You're just going to let them get in the car and let them drive. We wouldn't do that because we recognize that the child doesn't have the understanding of what to do. The child doesn't have the full picture of where to go. It doesn't have probably even the size to be able to push the pedals properly or to steer the wheel or to do both at the same time. Well, the same thing is true for us. And I'm sorry if you're, uh, you know, you're mad at me for calling you a baby. But what I will say is God, in, in comparison to God, God knows best. He understands everything. He sees the full picture. And when he's driving the car, when he's driving the car of our life so to speak. He knows where he's going. He knows how to get there. He knows every detail along the way. And for those people that aggravate us, he also knows how to use his turn signals, right? And so we're going to do a quick case study on this passage, and we're going to walk through a few different things. These specific temptations that Satan brings are not just some willy-nilly, hey, let me throw this at him, let me throw that at him. Instead, they're calculated. Satan has a plan for how he's going to try to tempt Jesus. And as he does so, he recognizes that Jesus, while he was God, has this human understanding, this human free will. And like you and I, he has the ability to be able to succumb to the temptations that Satan throws before him. He tries these three temptation focuses, these three crucial areas, three areas he tries to get to us in the same regard. And the first one is in verse three and four, and I'll just reread a little bit of this as we go through. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus was hungry, he was weak after fasting, but he chose divine power to satisfy his natural desires for food. He chose to turn to God the Father and say, please sustain me as I walk through this difficult time. And obviously, food is not wrong. You know, that we, we recognize that God has planned for us to be able to be nourished through food. And so it's not a wrong thing for him to want to eat. It's the timing and the way that he would force his own agenda in doing so. If you're a note taker, the first point is this. God calls us to give up control of physical needs and desires. What Satan was attempting to attack here was the physical need and desire that Jesus had. It was the the fleshly need, the thing that was right before him. It was that easy thing that he had. I'm I'm just going to make a confession right now. I'm really good at practicing for dinner. Anybody else good at practicing for dinner? Maybe you will be better at understanding if I'm to, to share this a little bit. When I get home, typically... 
And I don't know that this is an age thing at all, um, because it, I obviously am bucking the trend. I like to have dinner like at five o'clock. Like I like to have it real quick. And when I get home, sometimes if I come home at, at five till five, my wife is cooking typically, and, and we like it that way. You would like it too if you ever tasted my cooking. But when I come home, I will tend to find my way into the pantry, even though Dinner is cooking, and it smells delicious, and I will get just kind of a little snack to practice eating dinner. And I know the, the repercussions of that. Sometimes my wife looks at me like, really? I'm right here. I'm getting everything together for you. And so as I'm stepping out of the, the pantry, typically I look at her and I think, oh, man, this food is good. The food she's making is good. The timing, really bad. And here the timing in which Jesus is being tempted is that he is being called to be sustained by the Spirit, to be sustained by God the Father. And what he attempts to try to do is step in, or Satan attempts to try to do is step in and try to trip him up so that he might be sustained by food in his timing, in his way. Sometimes we satisfy perfectly normal desires in the wrong way or in the wrong time. Many desires are, are normal or even good. But God wants you to satisfy in the right way, in the right time, in the way that he calls you to do so. What does this look like specifically? You know, there's a, there's a, a couple of different instances where, we talks about, where God talks about tools that we have that, that become idols in Scripture. One of them is money. And we talk about money sometimes uh, from time to time here. And, and certainly it's talked about a lot in the New Testament. Jesus talks about money. And the reality is because he knows that if you love money, you don't love him. But he also recognizes that he gives money or he gives finance, he gives materials to his people, not as an idol for them to worship, but as a tool for them to use for the kingdom. And so what happens sometimes is when God gives us something, it becomes a, a, a tool or it should be a tool, but it becomes an idol in our life. And Satan in this point is saying, look, I recognize that you need food. You recognize that you need food. Why don't you just go ahead and eat? And what he's saying is, why don't you put this thing, this seemingly good thing, something we all know to be good, before the will of God, before God himself. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 reads like this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, lust, the, the pride of life come from the Father, but from... But comes not from the Father, but from the world. And maybe the follow-up rhetorical question for that is, what or who do you love? And a follow-up even to that is that there is a reality that we can't serve two masters. We can't love two masters. And so this isn't even a divided thing. Well, you know, it's Sunday, so of course I love God today, but tomorrow I've got, I got business to do. And so you know, things are going to shift. No, God says you can't love two masters. In fact, you can't love two masters because if you do, you're going to hate one. I'll move on. Verse 5 through 7 is the second temptation. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So he's on the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. He can see everything. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will, he, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, 
so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And that's in Satan saying, you're all powerful. Why don't you use that? Why don't you wield that power for your own good so that everybody else can see that you're God, that you're the man, right? And Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And this is kind of like that mic drop moment this week, right? Okay, well, here God's kind of giving it to him, like, don't test him. Don't test him in this regard. You know, the, the temple was the center of the religious world at that time. It was thought that at that point by the Israelites, it was thought by, the, by all of them that were waiting for this Messiah, that the Messiah would come and by that location, through that location, he would come out and he would then begin this new kingdom. And I'm sure some of them, even, you know, you look at Simon, who was a zealot. He was a, he was a rebel. He wanted to overthrow the, the Roman government. I'm sure they were sitting around thinking, oh, right, he's finally coming. And, and, and Satan's painting this picture like, come on, you've got the power. Why don't you come in on this horse with, your, with all of your armor on and your weapons and just show Rome what's up. Like, you, you can take your people back right now. Or maybe even better, he's up on top. Like You're up on top looking down like, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm the one that's going to do this. And Jesus, instead of saying, look, I've got the power. I've got all the things that I need. He says, you know what? You shouldn't test God. In fact, not you shouldn't, but don't put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus' way and his plan was heavenly. It was not earthly. And what he was saying is, we're going to focus on what God the Father has called me to, not my own agenda or the things that I would like to do. Satan knew this, and he was attempting to bring the earthly agenda and understanding to fruition. Like, hey, let's skip all those other steps where you've got to struggle and you're probably going to die, but instead, why don't you just do it now? From the highest point, Jesus could see everything, and while he could see everything below him, he also recognized what was above him. Second point is this, that God calls us to give up control of possessions and power. It's amazing to think that God loves us so much that he puts us in places where we have tools in our life and we also have places in our life where we have opportunity to be able to do what we would want with those things. And he calls us not to wield those things for our own glory or our own power, but instead he calls us to step forward to use whatever platform we have, whatever literal or physical or, or figurative platform we might have to be able to glorify him. Is there lightning in here or is that? What does this look like? It looks like being a steward or, or a manager rather than an owner. One time a friend of mine let me borrow a little bass boat that he had and we went on this vacation. We were living up in South Dakota and we went over to, uh, to Minnesota and we were fishing on this lake. And I remember driving over there with the boat, kind of paying attention out the back I remember looking at the boat and thinking, man, we really got to make sure that we, we don't blow a tire on the trailer. We got to make sure that it doesn't slide. I remember thinking about this boat the whole time. I was, I was making sure every step of the way that I did everything I was supposed to. When we were done, I cleaned the boat up. I returned it better than I had borrowed it. It was so nice. And the funny part is when I think about that, I didn't own that boat. I was managing it. I was a steward of that boat. I was, I was looking at it as, as somebody that I respected. And actually the person, it was a friend of mine. I, re, I love him and I, I want to make sure that I return his, his item. I want to return his property back to him or, or make sure that while I had it under my care that it was used to the best of its ability. Can I just say that that's how God calls us to steward things we have. We are not owners of the things we have, of our position. We are not owners of our, of our possessions. Instead, we are mere stewards which actually takes on more responsibility because we are then accountable to the master, the one who owns it all. What possessions and or what power are you holding control of right now? And finally, probably the most difficult of all, here's in verse 8, 
This is the last temptation. Satan's tried one and he struck out. He's tried two and he struck out again. He thinks, okay, I've got this last one. This is, this is the surefire way that's going to work. He goes to verse eight, uh, verse 8 and it says, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Simba, this is all the ki- Okay, all right. <laughs> Make sure you're awake. All the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And all this I will give you including that shadowy place, right? And he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the question is raised, did did Satan really have, did the devil really have the power to give to Jesus? And there's two responses to that. The first one is he could have just been lying, He could have said, yeah, let me give you this and and I'll take care of everything. And it might have just been a lie. Or the second one is he may have promised it because he had this temporal status, which I think is probably more accurate. For that time, he did have some specific power here on earth. But the core temptation was for Jesus to take control of the world as a political ruler right then without carrying out the plan that God had for all of us to experience reconciliation and, and freedom from the bondage of sin. Satan was trying to distort Jesus' perspective by making him focus on worldly power, not on God's plan. You know, sometimes we fall into temptation, and the reason that we do so is because we, we see things through our human eyes and our human understanding and our human wisdom, if that's even a phrase, kind of more like an oxymoron, rather than God's wisdom, God's discernment, and God's plan. But like Jesus, we're called to do this third thing, and that is that, to give up control of pride. And pride recognizes that in in all respects that I am the best, I am the greatest, I have so much to offer. And what God says is, look, I have given you those things. Don't wield them. Don't distort them. Please use them as a tool for the kingdom. Because you and I recognize that we're not the best. Deep down, we know that about ourselves. We know about ourselves that we have more insecurity than we'd like to let on. We recognize in ourselves that we don't have the power. And certainly God gives us, promotes the opportunity for us to be able to give up our pride for him. Giving in on being controlled by by pride will ultimately curb and derail the plans of God for for your life and the redemptive work that God wants to do. If we keep holding on to pride, then we will really, in, in in a lot of ways, doom ourselves. So what does this look like? The devil offered the world to Jesus if he would only bow down and worship him. And he does the same things today by trying to entice us with material things, with power, with position, with pride. He says, hey, that tree over there, you know, God, God, he, he didn't want you to eat from it because he, he, if you eat from that tree, you're going to end up being as smart as him. You're going to be a God just like him. And he deceives us into thinking that the, the things that of this world, or the created portions of this world are what's really going to bring us lasting fulfillment. But in essence, it's quite the opposite. But here's the deal. If I were to stop there, I, I, I think that some of us would leave here discouraged. So don't turn it off. Instead, listen to this. There is hope. There's hope in Jesus because of the fact that he has the power to do it, and he's a good God who's granted us the power through his action, particularly what we're going to celebrate seven weeks from now on Resurrection Sunday. We can resist temptation the same way Jesus did. If you find yourself, you know, kind of craving something that the world offers, then simply do as Christ did, and that is to quote the words that he did to the devil Scripture, his power, which comes through Scripture in many cases, and that is this, worship the Lord your God and serve him only.
Can I tell you there is power in the word? There's power in the words here, not because this is just simply a book, but because the Holy Spirit is still present, still working, still speaking through this word to each person who would listen, who would read it, who would engage in it today. And so if you feel weak, if you feel discouraged, if you feel torn down, there's always a place to turn, and that is to the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible today, certainly we don't want you to leave without one. We've got Bibles at the Information Center. We would love to give it to you today. If you would like a Bible, there's, there's, there's no cost. It is simply a free gift. We say, here you go. And the core of it is this. We've got the power. We've got the power not because of anything we do or anything that we hold on to. We've got the power because of who Christ is and what he has done. Jesus has been tempted in every way. He's experienced firsthand all the temptations we could ever think of. And he's willing and able to help us in our struggle. And the bottom line is this. Giving up control is made possible by the power of and through the deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Deep relationship with Jesus Christ is ultimately what God calls us to, what he desires with us is so that we can have relationship with the creator of the world. And at the same time, we are afforded this power that's far beyond anything we can ever imagine. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have the power of God living within you. And when you are tempted, when you're discouraged, when you're torn down, God grants you the opportunity through his power to experience relief, reconciliation, and new life, the joy that only he can grant. As you grow in relationship with Christ, your perspectives will change. Your heart will be redirected. And ultimately, God will serve and help you in that route. You know, this, this past um, upward season, it's been a lot of fun to be able to go to the games and to watch the kids uh, cheer and to, to watch the kids play basketball. And I, I had a son that played this year, and it was a lot of fun to watch him kind of blossom over the year. And I, I really appreciate his coach and the encouragement that he brought. I appreciate the opportunity that, that all the parents and the, and the, and the coaches and, and, the, and even the referees would bring uh, to, the, to the sport, just to have an opportunity to encourage these kids. But I can tell you, I was encouraged many times during the halftime presentation. Not just simply because of the opportunity that they would tell us that there were pepperoni uh, rolls available in the, in the snack area, but also because of the spiritual implications that came from those. It wasn't just a time to say, okay, we're glad you're here. Thanks for showing up. But instead, uh, in many cases, Jeff Devine, one of the co-directors would come and he would share real and lasting truths about who God is and what he's done. And if you were uh, blessed enough to come yesterday, you heard him share his testimony. And one of the things that, that takes place as the Spirit speaks is he will bring forth things in his time and his way. And I will tell you this week, I kind of wrestled with how I was going to conclude this service today. I was, gonna, I, I was wrestling with God, what do you want to happen? And then when I was sitting there during his fourth presentation of the day of his own, uh, his own witness, his, his own testimony, what God had done in his life, I was so excited as God said, I'm giving you the way. This is how I want to conclude this service. Because sometimes we look at Jesus and we do say, man, that's God. He can do it. He's got it figured out. But what does that look like practically in real life? What does it look like to truly give up control? And so I want to invite Jeff to the platform now. And if you were here yesterday, this will be a refresher. If you weren't here, here's one of the things that you missed out on throughout the year. But I'll just tell you, he's going to come and share the way that God has brought forth an opportunity for him to experience what it looks like to give up control. So I hear it for Jeff real quick. Yeah, so funny story about um, how that came to be in, um, from my perspective. Um, so yes, yesterday I gave my testimony about four times, um, halftime, so it was emotionally exhausting. Um, and these poor upward parents, they're, they can't get rid of me. They are just like, again, this guy, 
you know, so bear with me one more time, all right? Um, so, so I went home, and, and because I was going through my week um, preparing for this, I started to go through my life and my wreckage and just kind of really appreciated the, what God did for me. And um, I was really thankful for God, so I, I went home and I rested, and then I, I, I said a prayer, and I was very like, um, you know, thank you for everything, thank you for what you've done, and, and thank you for service, and, and I surrendered, and I said, your will be done, and I said, God, use me, keep using me. Four minutes later, I got a call from Pastor Steve, and he says, hey, I need you, need you tomorrow, one more time, I loved it, it was good, I want you to do it. I couldn't say no, I just got done praying, God, use me, and I'm tired. So they have this thing in AA where they just say, say yes, and if you say yes, you'll stay sober. Say yes to service, and then you stay sober. So I live by that, reluctantly at times, but uh, I'm here today. So my wife gave me advice today. She said, slow down, because when I get nervous, I talk fast, and don't go on tangents, and I make no promises. So I want to talk about three significant moments in my, um, in my, my testimony um, that were really powerful for me. So I'll let you know when I get to those. So um, I'll just get started. So my fam, um, I was born in Kansas, and I moved to California when I was five. I grew up in a middle-class home, and uh, my parents were recovering alcoholic addicts. Um, I knew them sober. So I was really blessed um, that I got the sober part of them. I never heard about their wreckage and everything they went through. Um, so God in my house was, he was put on a shelf. My parents didn't share too much with me. We didn't have religion. We didn't have a foundation. We kind of, um, you know, God existed, and he was most likely true, and, and my mom was into astrology and other things. <laughs> and um, so it wasn't something we practiced. It wasn't something in my life, but he, he was there. Um, then in, um, in sixth grade, oh, wait, so in sixth grade, my, my parents first told me, they said that we're alcoholics, you have the gene, you might as well have this gene, you might have these tendencies as well. And I was a kid, and it was kind of heavy to take on, right? So I'm like, all right, they might be right. So I was really focused on sports, and I didn't test that theory about possibly being an addict as well. So um, when I was in sixth grade, my brother passed away um, to a car accident. He was 17. And then when I was a senior in high school, my mom passed away. She was uh, 49 to a rare cancer about two weeks. So it was sudden. And I share this with you because it's part of my story and it, it's part of my brokenness. One, it helped me grow up fast. But at the same time, there was a brokenness inside me. And there was something that I was dealing with. So I was a senior in high school and I had this. And I was really into um, sports. And uh, I got a scholarship to play football. And I went to college and I decided... I'm going to live the life that I never lived um, in high school. So I started using and I started doing um, drugs and I started doing those things. And like most sin, it started out really fun and it was exciting until the t that wore off. And all I was filled with was emptiness and powerlessness and brokenness and discontent, irritable. Um, and then I couldn't get out because I was down too deep. So I ended up losing my college scholarship um, because of this lifestyle. And then I went down my addiction road for quite a bit. I lived in my car for about a year. I was in my brother's house and my grandma's house and 
um, there were times when I was really, really at my low and, and I had the brokenness and I went down the bad path and, you know, I became such, you know, an addict in so many ways. I was, you know, picking, you know, weed up off the carpet because you're trying to get whatever's left or stealing and breaking into my friend's house because I needed to get what I needed. And um, <clears throat> I remember that now, but <clears throat> when I grew up, integrity, moral, compass, everything, it meant everything to me. And I lost that in my journey. I lost it and it didn't, um, um, it's amazing, you know, the person you can become. I was night and day as a person from what I was growing up until when I entered into this disease. So I, um, I tried to free myself. I tried to make my bad habits healthy habits. I tried spiritual stuff. Um, I tried everything in my power to get rid of this. Um, and one night I was living at my grandma's and I was really broken. And I was having my lowest moment, and I incurred a lot of debt as a young kid, making bad choices, and I just felt the world come on me. This is my first significant moment. Well, I was in my lowest moment, broken, having a really bad man cry, like I'm about to right now. And uh, um, at my lowest moment, all of a sudden, I felt this spiritual hug. I was feeling the worst feelings I've ever felt in my life, and all of a sudden, God hugged me or something happened. I, I, I couldn't, I didn't know what it was. But anyways, I ran to church because I couldn't comprehend what had just happened to me. And um, so I went to church and um, I had a great five months. I had a great five months. I gave my life to Jesus and he was, he was great. And I, I learned a lot. But the truth is I showed up, I sang the songs. I didn't make a real commitment and I didn't repent and I didn't really give my life over. So the world came and I was a seed on the, the ground with a little bit short seed, right? I was ready and the plants grew up and they choked me out and the world came and I went back. And when I went back, I went back even harder like I never left. Went to back to, um, you know, I think I briefly lived in my car for a little bit longer and I went back and I was, um, you know, broken, and I was so powerless. You know, I don't know if you've ever been driving in your car and you kind of space out just for a little bit or you daydream for a little bit, but everything in my being wanted to be sober and everything didn't want to go to that life. And I could get five or 10 days sober at a time. And when I would space out, I would end up driving to that bad place and doing those bad things. And it would like space out. And I was like, how did I get here again? So I would, um, so I, <clears throat> so that happened. And then I got 10 days sober. Uh, about 10 or 15 days sober, and uh, I had these dreams. I had these relapse dreams, and they were so real and so vivid. And these relapse dreams were so real that I woke up in panic attacks, and I had anxiety. Um, so this happened three nights in a row. And I've never had anxiety in my life, and I thought people who had anxiety were just uh, weak mental health. I don't know. It wasn't for me. It was that day. And it was very real, and I couldn't breathe, and I felt like I was dying. So I was broken, and I, I gave up. I said, okay, three nights in a row, God, you win. So I went to AA because I realized, um, you know, it was a God program. My dad was pushing me there. And real quick, I'll give you the origin story of AA. A AA was uh, Bill W. in Akron, Ohio. And what he did was he had, a, um, he had a friend who gets sober who was worse than he was. And he was just dumbfounded how this guy got sober. And this guy said... 
I found Jesus. He saved my life. He made me new. And then Bill W. wanted what he had, did what he did. Then he went to an Oxford group, which was a Christian group. And he gave, um, he went through the 12, he went through the Bible and made the 12 steps. The 12 steps are pretty simple. I'll summarize them quickly. But God, um, one, you are powerless. That God can, you can't. Third one is that you turn your will and your life over to God. As, and four and five is the big one. It's the repentance. It's your resentments. It's everything you've ever done wrong. You're getting out on paper and then you're confessing to someone else. Eight and nine is amends. Um, 10 and 11 is inventory and reconciliation of your past. And 12 is sharing your truth, what God did for you. And I did the work. What it says in the book, I did it. Because I went in there and I hated all of them, but they loved on me till I could love myself. And they told me that I might get it. That you get it. You're broken. You're miserable. You are powerless. You, and I, at the time, I was like, what do you mean? That's awful. Don't say those things. And they're like, no, 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 it's a gift. The gift of desperation. And I would. I did anything. So when I did my fourth and fifth step, when I turned my um, life over to God, fully surrendered, after the fourth and fifth step, after repentance, man, I had this spiritual high that never left me. Um, I really think my wife met me right after this, and this is what attracted her to me, was this new life that I was given. Um, and since then, man, that my addiction, my obsession instantly left me, instantly. And it was amazing. And part of my journey has been miraculous, and part of my journey has been very slow, where God and the Holy Spirit has worked through me, changing me as I go and molding me into what he needs me to become and taking away the sins. And so that was my second significant moment was doing my fourth and fifth step, repenting. And then I had this pattern. Um, before, when, I, when I went to church the first time, I had a lot of great stuff happen. And I felt something real and genuine. But I would do this thing where you pray, you read the, big, uh, you read the book, you read, you read the Bible, you're in service. Um, you do all the things you're supposed to do until one day you get complacent and one thing falls off and then another thing falls off and you're not praying, you're not reading, you're not serving and now you're not here in the middle. This is the body of Christ. You're not in the middle, you're on the outside. And when you're on the outside, that's where the devil can get you. That's where he can pick you off. And I've lived that life off and on, off and on where I'm starting to be in the center and feel connected and I'm on the outside and he's going to pick me off. So, I lived that life and I had a few one-day relapses and the world will tell you that you can't live up to this and you know give up and what's the point but that's not our God he is one that has never-ending chances if your heart's in the right place he knows it and you have the gift of guilt and the gift of repentance you do that and you try to live right and the Holy Spirit will change you to do so over time that's been my story and um, God's grace or God's power is made perfect in your weakness. And I'm not saying you have to be completely destroyed like I was before you come to. You don't always have to. But when you're stubborn like me, that might be what it takes. When God breaks you and, and, and changes you, that was so God's strength is made perfect in your weakness was definitely my truth or what happened to me. And I went back to the source of all the... You know, where, where AA came from, went back to the Bible, went back to church, and I started to stay in the middle because I realized that um, it was life or death for me. Every day I get to choose. Every day I get to choose God. And 
and I got plugged in. And the, and the third moment, the significant moment in my life is when I was um, dedicated and I was, and I was giving my life, but I always was like, why baptism? Like, I don't need it. And, um, you know, it was just another step. You know, oh, I still have this one sin that I'm kind of hanging on to that I don't want to let go of just yet, you know? So I eventually stopped making excuses. And I got baptized here about a year and a half ago, or roughly, um, by Pastor Steve. And when I got baptized, that was the third significant moment. I don't know what it was, but I felt this spiritual holiness, I don't know, for like a week, and I was just on this high. And, and then I just committed. You know, I gave my life to Christ, and I've been doing it every day. And, you know, I'm trying to stay in the middle of this thing and trying to do the right things and read it. And it was the best decision I ever made because um, I gave my life over. And God has been so good. And be careful what you pray for. He will use you. <laughs> so um, thank you for letting me share my story today. Well, Jeff, we, we clap uh, in applause of, of your decisions, what you've done, but we also in the redemptive power of the God that we serve. It doesn't matter where we're at. It doesn't matter where you're at today. God just calls you to give up control and he'll do the rest. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for that reality. Because for those of us who have tried to get it done ourselves, those of us who've tried to do all the work, those of us who've tried to, to go any other direction or maybe to serve you and something else, you plus whatever it might be, God, we recognize it's only filled with failure. And so God, may your word inspire us. May what you've done in Jeff's life and even his actions to step forward in obedience inspire us. God, may we recognize the transformative power that's happening, not just, or that happened, not just in your scripture, but God, also in our church right now in this moment. And if it takes something as, as small as a basketball league, God, to, to be able to, to take some steps forward, God, I pray that you would work in the lives of our children and the lives of the families that are here presently today. God, you work in mysterious ways. You work in your own time. You, you work in, in, in whatever means necessary to bring forth your reconciliation. Because you choose love, you choose grace, you choose mercy in our lives. And so may we take the path of giving up whatever it is that we have control of or we hold control over so that you might have your work. You might do your work and we might grow in relationship with you. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for what you continue to do. May you continue to do in our midst. It's in your son's name that we pray. It's in your son's name that we can even come into your presence. Thank you, Father, for all you do. Amen. Let me read this benediction over you. It's from Ezekiel chapter 34. And it reads like this, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them to good, to good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel to be grazed land. There, there they will lie down in good grazing land and they will be fed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And in verse 15, I myself will tend my sheep 
and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. God is for you. God is running after you if you are that lost sheep today because he has something far greater than you could ever imagine. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless. God bless.